Happy New Year and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Liz Kelly. The NFL playoffs are officially here and that means tons of coverage up on the site. Robert Mays is writing about Philip Rivers' legacy. Danny Kelly discusses Russell Wilson and the Seahawks offense. And Danny Heifetz gives us his wild card weekend viewing guide. On the pop culture side, we have a live Golden Globes wins pool featuring Sean Fennessy, Amanda Dobbins, Chris Ryan, Micah Peters, and Kate Hallowell. You can check that out on YouTube. Welcome to GM Street, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. It is Friday, January 4th of the year 2019, and I am joined on the line by Mr. Michael Lombardi. Lombardi, how you doing? I'm great, Tate Frazier. Wild card weekend, playoff football, Clemson, Alabama, man. A lot to, lot to look forward to, you know? This is a very, 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 very exciting weekend uh, for the football fans of the world. We got, uh, obviously, you mentioned wildcard weekend. We're going to get into all of those games. This is the Friday forecast where we uh, let Lombardi break down everything he expects to see in these games. You've had a pretty solid year all around as far as uh, predicting how things will work out. So, uh, pretty, you know, well on you. You're like Nostradamus of the football world right now, Lombardi. Uh, then, of course, Monday Night Football. We got Alabama Clemson. We will talk about that game on Tuesday's show and obviously all the games that happened this weekend. Uh, as we get into the wildcard games, let's first talk. Talk off. Uh, talk about the, the the teams that do have first round buys. We got the Saints got a buy. Uh, we got the Kansas City Chiefs with a buy. Los Angeles Rams with a buy, and of course the New England Patriots with a buy. And then we have the first game of Wild Card Weekend at four thirty five kickoff uh, on the East Coast. We got the Indianapolis Colts taking on the Houston Texans. This is the uh, what are they calling this? The AFC South Championship game, right? Lombardi, that's what they're saying. Yeah, two out of three wins, right? So uh, I call it the T Y Hilton Bowl because obviously mm-hmm. the one thing that's been proven over the amount of time is that the uh, the Texans can't cover T.Y. Hilton. I mean, you know, the guy has been targeted 18 times. He's got 13 catches in those games for 314 yards, and he averages just a measly 24.2 yards an average. And, oh, by the way, Tate Frazier, of those 13 catches, nine of them have been for first downs, and six of them have been for 25 yards or more. So mm. this is the T.Y. Hilton versus the Texan Bowl to me. Yeah, and that's something to keep an eye on. As we look at the point spread in this one, Texans favored at home by one point in this game, so that'll, it's a pretty close line as far as that goes. If you combi- it's a pick'em line, right? I mean, it's it's basically these a pick'em games line. are all pick'em games. Yes, because you know, and, and, and it's, a, it's I an think even matchup. When match you up. look at this on the, yeah, when you look at it on the surface, like can Indianapolis beat them again down on their own home? If you lose to a team twice on your own field, they clearly are the better team. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that. Indianapolis is the better team than Houston. I think when you go back and rewatch that tape and you watch how poorly Deshaun Watson played in that game and you watch how he was not able to make some throws that were there and, and available to him and how he held the ball too long in the pocket that you would say to yourself, you know what? We've got to find a better way. You know, now his numbers, you know, when you watch the, when you look at the numbers and you evaluate them, overall he was. 56 for 80, 70% completion. Pretty good, right? Mm-hmm. Eight, three yards per attempt. Not bad. Three touchdowns, one interception. Pretty good, right? Sacked 12 times. Held the ball way too many times. And only had four plays down the field of 25 yards or more. For the Texans to win, I think Deshaun Watson's got to play his best game. 
and I kind of suspect he might. So when you look across, I mean, this game, they they are basically hundred percent even teams. You know, when you combine the scores of the first two games, we got fifty eight to fifty eight. Uh, since week seven, like I said before, I mean nine and one, eight and two teams are just uh, they're both really hot teams. So a lot of people are you know kind of picking a side here. Obviously, this is the first time we'll see Deshaun Watson uh, in the postseason. This is also the first time we've seen two AFC South teams play in the postseason. So that's something to keep an eye on as well. Um, and pretty much this all comes down to the to the middle of the field, right? When you look at that Colts offense and what Andrew Luck has been able to do over the past few weeks, and that is fine Eric Ebron and fine T.Y. Hilton streaking down the middle of the field uh, and get some you know some pass plays on third down. Frank Reich is known for creating and, and being able to draw plays on third and long uh, to keep those guys on the field. So if the Colts can possess, uh, I think a lot of people like that team there. So we, we will keep an eye on all that. Are, are you excited to see Bill O'Brien in this atmosphere, uh, Lombardi? Do you think he's ready for the moment here with this Texans team? I kind of do. I think they are. I think the Texans will be ready. I think the key in this game is keep the Texans defensive front healthy, fresh. Mm -hmm. This game is going to be a fourth quarter game. And what happens to the Texans so often because of the numbers I read to you about about T.Y. Hilton, they've got to do a good job of containing luck in the pocket. They've got to do a good job of tackling luck. They didn't do it in the last game. They struggled to get luck on the ground. Luck made some plays, moving his feet. And in the fourth quarter, they were very effective get converting third downs. So uh, I think they've got to keep Watt fresh. they got to keep him healthy. And which team can play from in front, I think, will be the team that becomes the winner. And I think if they make the Colts play from in front, which they didn't do the last game, the Colt, the, the Texans got ahead 7-0 in the game in Houston, and then all of a sudden it was 17-7, and the Texans were trying to play from behind the whole game and couldn't catch up. So for me, I think this is critical for them to uh, play from in front. I like the Texans here. I think it'll be – obviously it's a pick em game. I'm going with the home field here and the fact that I don't think you can beat a team twice – and also, I think Deshaun Watson will play 10 times better than he did the last game. Yeah, and when you think about it, I mean, some of the quarterbacks that have played for the Texans in one playoff games, I mean, the first one to do that was T.J. Yates in 2011. So if T.J. Yates can do it, we believe Deshaun Watson may be able to do it as well. So uh, That's your North Carolina guy. There you go, T.J. Yates. Uh, who would have thought that he'd come up yet again on this podcast? Uh, the next game that we have uh, is a guy that used to play against T.J. Yates back in his NC State days, and that is Russell Wilson. Uh, the 5 seed Seahawks traveling down to Dallas, uh, 8-15 kickoff East Coast time uh, with these two teams. Dallas favored by two and a half points at home. Obviously, this is a big showdown. A lot of people uh, pointing to Russell Wilson, uh, the more seasoned quarterback coming in to take on Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott played Played all of last week, Jason Garrett, the clapper himself, decided to uh, to keep his offensive starters out there and, and to let them roll uh, as if you know nothing has changed. They, they're playing playoff football, have been playing playoff football. Looking at this game, Lombardi, uh, we got Seahawks traveling down to the Cowboys. Who do you like in this one? Well, they played week three of the season, right? It was mm -hmm. Seattle's first win. They beat them up in Seattle. And when you really go back and watch the game, neither team was was effective throwing the football. Both teams could run the ball. Seattle only had 113 yards rushing in the game. They were seven for 16 on third down. And Russell Wilson made a couple plays. Brandon Marshall actually was instrumental in helping the Seahawks win. He's no longer on the team. So I think when you go back, there's two different teams here now. And I think what concerns me, and it's concerned me all year, Tate Frazier, about Seattle is their inability to throw the football effectively. They're 29th in the NFL in passing on second down. They're 27th in net passing yards. They're 27th in first downs made passing. You know, they're 50, they're, they're 25th in the NFL and allowing 51 sacks. I think the Cowboy defense will give them a lot of problems. The Cowboys, and like it always is when you play Seattle, the ball is the most important thing. Seattle's the number one team in the NFL in turnover differential. 
It's the ball, the ball, the ball. And they're really good in two-minute defense. So their situational defense is outstanding. But I think the Cowboys, when you go back, and I watched that game a couple times this week, I think the Cowboys are playing better than they did then. And it was a tough game because of the crowd noise in Seattle for their offensive line. I think Dallas wins this game. I think the Clapper comes out. I think Dak Prescott, Amari Cooper, I think Zeke Elliott, I think they're going to win this game because they can throw the ball better than Seattle, even though Seattle has Russell Wilson. Yeah, and it is uh, something to keep an eye on also. Bobby Wagner came out and said the the reason that they've been so successful as a team and as a defense against Dak's, Dak Prescott is because they've been able to get pressure on him. Uh, in that first matchup, they sacked him five times, like you said, in week three. Uh, so they were able to get in his face and, and make him have to make some tough throws. And one other note, Pete Carroll uh, has not lost in any – if the Seahawks make the playoffs, they at least win one game. That's been uh, – they're 6-for-6 six six under Pete Carroll with that mantra and that uh, that ability to be able to do that. So that's a scary sight if you are a Dallas Cowboys fan to know that Pete Carroll and this team has a belief uh, that they can go down and beat anyone on the road no matter where it is. Uh, so all that uh, all that aside, though, you do believe in the Clappers. So I, I think that's very positive news for the NFC East and all the NFC East fans out there. Lombardi. Well, we want to be nice to the Clapper. I mean, we need the Clapper. We lost, we, we lost headline Huey. We need the clapper. So, uh, look, I, I just think to me this is all about the matchup. I think the Cowboys defensively, I think Chris Richards has done a really good job defensively. This will be his chance to get back at Seattle for being fired. I think their defense is playing better than they were playing earlier in the season. I think they'll put pressure on Russell Wilson. Everybody does. I think the defensive line will put pressure on Russell Wilson. And I think Russell Wilson hasn't demonstrated that they have an intermediate passing game. They can run the ball on anybody. But can they actually throw the football? I don't know that. As you look at you know just all the stuff going into this game, a lot of it does lean heavily toward the Cowboys. So uh, Cowboys also seven and one at home, so they've been you know pretty successful playing in Dallas, uh, playing there for Jerry Jones and, and company. So that's all. Those are all good things. Uh, Seahawks four and four on the road. They'll see if they can get above five hundred there uh, and get a win. As we move into the Sunday games, we have uh, the Baltimore. Ravens at home taking on the Los Angeles Chargers or the Carson Chargers as I like to call them. So Phil Rivers is going to travel down to Baltimore. Baltimore favored by three at home in this one. Uh, Chargers obviously are the wild card team here despite being 12-4. and four. Um, So a lot of people are high on those guys. I uh, believe in Phil Rivers. A lot of people thought that he had a chance maybe to make a late run uh, to be the MVP of the league. But as we look at this one, Lombardi, that Ravens defense has been playing uh, like, like you expect the Ravens defense to play like most people perceive uh, them to be at least. Uh, so looking at this, do you believe that uh, the Ravens have a chance to get a nice win at home for rookie quarterback Lamar Jackson? I think, you know, like I wrote about, I think the Ravens are Omar in the in the, in the wire. I think they're dangerous. I think they're unpredictable. And I think they have to re- remain that way to beat the Chargers for the second time. Again, this is a rematch game that just happened a couple weeks ago. In, in Carson, you know, both teams were, uh, you know, riding high at the time. The, the Ravens were coming off a loss to Kansas City. The Chargers had just had a great win in Pittsburgh, come from behind win, or in Kansas City, I'm sorry, a come from behind win, and they've beaten Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh. So they're able to handle the road. I think this game's going to come down to Phillip Rivers. I mean, the last time they played, Rivers was 23 for 37, didn't throw the ball effectively. Their right guard, Michael Schoenfeld, is a liability. Why they continue to play him? is beyond me. Everybody puts their best pass rusher over him. Everybody attacks him in their protections in terms of rushing him. He really struggles. The right tackle's not very good. 
I think when they go on the road, I think this is going to be a problem for them. And if they don't have the ball enough, which you typically never do against the Ravens. I mean, the last time they played, they had the ball 28 minutes. It's going to be hard to generate big plays in offense. And I think if the Ravens play the way they did, take away the big plays, I think they can pull another upset in this game. I'm a little weary about going against the team and thinking that you can beat the team twice. I think it's a difficult challenge. So... I think Lamar Jackson has to throw the ball effectively in this game. They've got to find a way where Michael Crabtree, John Brown, one of these receivers, Willie Sneed, they've got to make plays in the passing game besides the tight ends. And I think that's what it's going to come down to. They were able to get uh, four sacks in that in that uh, matchup against Phil Rivers that they won out in Carson. They get four sacks on him, eight quarterback hits. Uh, Keenan Allen was a guy that obviously he relies on for those big plays that you were just talking about. They held him to just 58 yards in that game. So uh, they did everything that you need to do as far as a secondary and being able to get pressure up front on Phil Rivers in that last matchup. You know, I, I saw a stat that was very interesting, and I kind of want to hear your thoughts. We, we talked about Lamar Jackson uh, even leading back into April of last year when he got drafted 32nd overall. But he has actually just set the record for most rushing attempts for a quarterback, and he only played seven games or started seven games this season. That's pretty wild, right? It's unbelievable. And I think if they let him throw the ball more, I think he'll prove all this these theories that he can't throw wrong. I think, you know, he's he's not great. He's not Tim Tebow throwing the football. He can throw the ball, and he throws it better down the field. I think Marty Morningwig's got to let him do that. And look, last time they played, they held the Chargers to 3.6 yards per pass. I mean, think about that. The Chargers didn't make a big play in the game. And I think what's going to happen in this game is the Chargers are going to basically have to handle the pressure. They're going to have to handle the the uh, the physicality of what the Ravens do offensively, defensively. Yeah, and the Ravens have been held under 200 yards rushing just twice uh, since week 10 and that was one of those included 194 yards against the Chiefs so when you talk about that rushing attack for the Ravens you can tell uh, that they are doing some uh, pretty impressive stuff as far as uh, you know what the, what they can do as far as possessing the football in a playoff game and if they're at home uh, there's a lot of people that like them uh, in that one and also we should point out the Ravens if you're a betting fan they have covered in seven straight playoff games since the 2011 season so yep all right Lombardi and now we get to it the uh, the Mitchell Trubisky Bowl the showdown, we got the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, led by Nick Foles, uh, who is unflappable Foles at this point, uh, traveling down to take on, uh, traveling to Chicago to take on Mitchell Trubisky and the Bears. Chicago, uh, apparently, they, they do like the rankings of the, you know, the teams based on, I don't know, I saw Pro Football Focus does this. this. I'm basically becoming Chris Collinsworth at this point, but they are ranking the Bears as the best team of wildcard weekend, uh, second to the Eagles. So this is technically the best two teams that are playing each other. Uh, we got the, the hottest team in the NFL, against one of the best teams uh, all season in the Chicago Bears. Uh, Bears favored by six, like I said. So we got Nick Foles versus Mitchell Trubisky, 4.40 p.m. Eastern, NBC, primetime. When you look at this game, Lombardi, do you, do you believe that Mitchell Trubisky can lead this team to a playoff win and get to the next round and, and, and naysay all the haters in the world? Is that possible? I think what the what the Bears have done the last five games, just look at it. The last five games, the Bears are 4-1. and one. Mm-hmm. They're 25 for 66 on third down. Now, they've held the ball 34 minutes. They've only had nine turnovers, six, t- and they've had six touchdowns, five interceptions. They've only allowed 10 sacks. They've only made seven plays over 25 yards. They've only averaged 6.8 yards per attempt. They're not, they're not trying to be explosive. They're trying to manage the game, control the ball, keep the ball away from their opponent, not allow Mitchell to make a mistake, mm-hmm. which he hasn't the last two weeks. He's been outstanding in that area. 
He's protected the football, and they're winning with their defense. Their defense has been unbelievable. They created seven turnovers. They held teams in the last five weeks to just 22 third downs converted. That's just slightly more than four a game. That's remarkable. And the fact that they've held opposing passing attacks to just 5.3 yards per attempt. Again, that's remarkable. So they are really playing great complementary football. And I think the challenge for Philadelphia is – Can they continue to do what they've been doing the last three weeks, starting with the Ram game, where they had to go on the road and play against a really explosive offense, and they outdueled them. And with Carson Wentz no longer playing and Foles in the game, all all of a sudden Alshon Jeffries has found a new form of life. I mean, in the last three weeks, he's had 18 targets, 16 catches in those weeks, Tate Frazier, and that's 301 yards in those 16 catches. One touchdown. 11 of them were for first downs and four were for over 20 yards. Foles has been dynamic, throwing the ball down the field, six for 17 on throws over 20 yards. That's outstanding. That's really good. The ball's in the air over 20 yards and he's six for 17. Mm -hmm. I think really what's happened here for Philadelphia is they're back to where they were before. They're back to holding the football. They've only played about 27 minutes of defense the last five weeks, which is critical to their success. And I think that this line being at six points, I think it's too much. I think this is going to be a field goal game. I don't know which way it's going to go. I think the Eagles could pull an upset, but I would pick the Bears. But I'm taking the Eagles and the points. I think the Eagles and the points are the right play because I don't believe the Bears want to play a game to where Trubisky is has to play outside of himself. I think Matt Nagy's done a wonderful job of making sure that Trubisky doesn't get away from them and has to make plays going back to when he did in the Minnesota game. Yeah. And in in Chicago, that Minnesota Viking mm-hmm. game, I think, spooked them all. Yeah, and you you don't want to get a point where you're just putting the ball in his hands and say, "Go win the game for me, kid." You know that that is not the answer. Even though Mitchell Trubisky did rank third in the league in total QBR, we know that it has been in a very self-contained environment. I do want to ask you a little bit about uh, Doug Peterson and Matt Nagy. They know each other very well. You know they they are of the same Andy Reid you know system. They they come from the same family of coaches, so they know each other well. Is there a chance that we see uh, you know some some back channeling? here, some little trick plays to kind of get in the head because you know the other guy, like a Bobby Boucher situation where maybe Nagy has, you know, Doug Peterson's game plans from back in the day or something like that. Is there a chance that we see any of that Oh, I think there's no doubt. I think you're going to see a lot of people taking chance. I think somebody's going to try to gain an extra possession. There's no doubt. I think with Doug Peterson, he's sitting in the driver's seat. He's sitting there. He looks at his team when they came back from their two days off on Wednesday and said, fellas, they picked you. The Bears said they wanted to play you. The Bears have no respect for you. The Bears wanted every part of you. You know, they could have played the Minnesota Vikings, but they didn't think Minnesota, they didn't want to play Minnesota. They wanted to play you. They don't think you're good enough. That's a powerful message. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a powerful message for a coach to use. And because that they know each other, they both know that they're going to be some kind of trick plays in the kicking game. I mean, we're going to see teams try to steal extra possessions in all, all, all four of these games. And I think it's going to be critical to be on guard in that sense. So, yeah, I think the relationship matters. I think weather's going to matter. Now, for this game, 37 degrees, no precipitation, mm. and east winds about 13 miles an hour. So not bad. Baltimore, almost 50 degrees. That's not going to be bad. And, of course, the Colt-Texan game is going to be the both the two games on Saturday are indoors. So weather's not going to be a huge factor in either game. And I think that's going to help the Bears because the Bears' pass rush will certainly have an effect. But look, this Eagle team has been very good since Nick Vols showed up in terms of the last three weeks of how they control the football. This game is going to come down to whichever offense has the ball 33 minutes, that's the team that's going to win. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, I think one more note to point out as far as just some history in this game. Matt Nagy and Doug Peterson, they were in the room when Andy Reid decided that he wanted to go down to Arizona and find a kid by the name of Nick Foles. So uh, it it is funny how it does all come full circle, and now you get to see uh, Matt Nagy coaching a young quarterback, Mitchell Trubisky, going up against uh, Nick Foles, a guy he scouted way back in the day uh, to bring into Philadelphia back when you know they were trying to find a savior. And uh, at one time, they did not think Nick Foles was was that man. They let him go to the Rams and bounce around a little bit, but now he is back. And uh, for whatever reason, it seems like when Nick Foles is in the game, you talked about Alshon Jeffrey, he's willing to take the chances to throw it down the field and somehow magic continues to happen and and they lean into that underdog role so it is a very scary it's a very scary proposition if you were a Bears fan to be taking on the the defending Super Bowl champions who seem to have uh clicked back in right at the right time just like they did a season ago yeah I I mean look it's it's unbelievable how everything comes full circle and for me it's really unbelievable how the Bears decided that they'd rather play Philly than you know to me you never want to you never want to pet a tiger I used to tell people all the time don't fucking pet the tiger. You know, like Al Davis would be out of practice, right? And we'd have some coaches that would come out to practice and they'd like walk by Mr. Davis. Oh, hi, how Mr. Davis? How are you today? And, and then, oh, fuck, you know how I am. And he would <laughs> rip them, you know? And I'm like, what you, how stupid are you? Why would you fucking walk past them? Just don't ever pet the tiger. Avoid them. You know, it's the same thing here with the Bears. Like, why would you stir up the Eagles? Why would you give them this? You you might win. You might beat them. No doubt. You might beat them. You're playing really good football. You're playing complimentary football. I, I, I applaud you for what you're doing. But why do it? Take on Minnesota and Kirk Cousins. You know, take them on. But they don't. And they didn't want to stay in the division. And they're going to pet the tiger. They're going to pet the tiger. Maybe maybe that's a precursor also for Monday night. You know, maybe you should be saying that to Alabama. Maybe maybe they they shouldn't have pet the tiger. Maybe they don't want to play Clemson again. Maybe Clemson does have the formula to beat Saban. I don't know. Just putting you it know, out there. I, I think that'll be a great game too. I think that'll be a really close game. I think that you have to give credit for Dabo for his ability to look into the future and say, you know what. I got to have a quarterback to throw the ball against Alabama. If not, I won't win. And he did, and he found one. And that quarterback is a as a guy to keep an eye on. Trevor Lawrence. I mean, we're get, we're going to talk about college football, obviously, on Tuesday when we get back. We will also break down all things uh, Wild Card Weekend. Any more notes, somebody, before we get out of here? Anything else, just to keep an eye on as we look at these four games? No, I, I'm just excited for him, Tate Frazier. I really am. I think this is the greatest time of the year, January. I know we're going to lose football, but I think as we head into the playoffs, I think any one of these teams playing on sat- Saturday or Sunday could easily represent the, the some conference in the Super Bowl. So it does those fours that have buys, they better make sure they're ready to go because these teams that win this weekend will be ready to play, and I think it will be a hard out no matter who wins. Yeah, and it, it, all four teams across the board. I mean, there there is no team where you don't see a world in which they could finagle their way possibly into the Super Bowl. Uh, coming out of their conference. So that is an exciting thing to see. There, There is no Buffalo Bills-Jaguars game this year at uh, Wildcard Weekend. You know what I mean? All four of these games you have to watch. Uh, there is no skips. Uh, you have to keep an eye on all these teams and, and to see where they are. And we'll obviously break it all down as we get back on Tuesday. We appreciate everyone listening to GM Street. Uh, we are very excited for Wildcard Weekend and for the playoffs to start. Coming up now, the Fantasy Football Podcast. Hey guys, my name is Danny Heifetz. I'm joined by my co-host and co-Danny, Danny Kelly. What is up, DK? What's going on? How you doing, man? I'm doing excellent. How was your holidays? My holidays were wonderful. Spent some time in San Diego. San Diego. Uh, nice. <laughs> home of Rashad Penny. Yeah, home, <laughs> among other things. Oh yeah, and of course, hello full-time Craig. Hello. Were you in San Diego? I was not. I'm not from there. I just went to school there. 
So that was a really shade answer. I know. I fine. I okay. wasn't there, but I wish I was. Check out Trujillo's Taco Shop. It's great. <laughs> Tru what? Trujillo's Taco Shop. It's the best. Isn't it Trejo's? Nope, it's Trujillo's. It's in San Diego. Oh, a different one. Yeah, it's not Danny Trejo's well, Taco you Place. Probably could have told me it before I went to San Diego. I didn't know so you were going. I, I told you, so this is really awkward because. Definitely sent that in an email. Anyway, uh, we're going to do a little pivot to the playoffs. Um, thank you to everyone who listened for fantasy regular season. Hopefully yeah. all of you guys won. And if you didn't, well, sorry. Uh, we can try to make it up to you. We're going to do a little pivot to the playoffs. And we're going to get into some daily fantasy. Um, yeah. We're going to be focusing on the good old fan duel. And we're going to be running through the players we like for each weekend. So full-time Craig. Yeah. You want to give a little little intro here? Yeah, I just wanted for people who are uh, playing daily or maybe who haven't played a lot on FanDuel, there are two essentially two styles of contests that you can enter. So there's the head-to-head where you play against one other person, and then there's the 50-50 matchups where half the people double their money and the other half lose it. And with those, the tradition of how you should normally set your lineup is you want to pick guys with weekly high floors because you only need to make it to the 50th percentile to make money. But we're going to do tournaments because we want to make the big bucks. And with tournaments... <laughs> Yeah. Can we get great cash money records drop, like where dreams come true? <laughs> Maybe. We, we want to make the big bucks, and that's, <laughs> that's where <a> no. <laughs> anyone can play, and then a small percentage at the top can win like a huge sum of money. Um, and so with that, you kind of want to assemble like stars and scrubs, meaning like bargain value guys and top tier guys to give you kind of like a best ball lineup, like the highest potential. It's kind of like if you're, if you're not first, you're last. Little Taldega Knights. Can we get that as a drop? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we will probably get that. Oh, because you said it? <laughs> <laughs> if you ain't first... Last. So yeah, that's what we're gonna it's do. We're gonna be doing tournaments. Danny. Come on. Should we get into our should we get into our lineup? Fine. Yeah. My God. Okay, I get it. We'll talk football. All right. Quarterbacks. I think yes. We're all in some agreement here, I think. Yeah, we came into this basically all <laughs> agreeing that we want to play Andrew Luck. Yeah. I would yeah. not have been shocked if Andrew Luck was one of the higher was the highest price quarterback, and he's pretty reasonable at eight thousand bucks. And I'm super in on luck. Yeah, so he comes in below Deshaun Watson, who's priced at 8400 Lamar Jackson, 8200 just above Russell Wilson at 7800 So we kind of like that for the sweet spot. Luck was the overall Q- QB5 this year in points per game. Highest among all the quarterbacks playing this weekend. So that's kind of interesting, and he, yet he's only third in the, in the, on FanDuel this week. Now, playing Houston, they got a good defense. They can rush the passer. you know. So that obviously comes kind of into effect here. But I, I think we just all kind of agreed that Luck has a really high floor, number one, and a really high ceiling, potentially, um, if this kind of turns into a shootout type of game. And so, um, yeah, I think we all like him. I mean, real quick on this, I mean, as Pro Football Focus pointed out, Luck, in a small sample, two games, basically had about average 29 points against Texans, and in the rest of the games he played this year, he averaged like 19, so he's crushed Houston. And then he's also just been ridiculously hard to sack this year. He's by far the hardest person to sack. Through the mm-hmm. second most pass attempts, and despite that, was sacked the second fewest times. He was sacked 18 times all year, which is crazy. But half of those were in the first month of the season. So in 12 games since then, he's been sacked nine times total. Uh, he just doesn't k- take hits anymore. It's been a really interesting reversal of his career. I mean, to put nine in perspective for the final 12 weeks of the season, 27 teams gave up twice as many as that. Half wow. the league gave up three times as many. And then there's the Texans, who gave up five times as many in that period. So. <laughs> Really like Luck, because as Craig mentioned, you know, T.Y. Hilton's a little hoppled, but on the most part, aside from R.I.P. to Jack Doyle, pretty healthy offense. You know, center Ryan Kelly's banked up, but he's going to play. Um, they kind of got everyone together. So we like Luck, and on the flip side, while we're talking about the quarterbacks, can I skip all the way down to the defense, which we were going to do last, and suggest a really stupid idea? Sure. 
Like I just I have a dumb idea. I just want to make a pitch. The Colts are the by far the lowest priced defenses. Can I talk you into can we can we do the Colts? So the Colts are thirty seven hundred dollars and the most expensive is the Bears at fifty five hundred. Also, did we even explain that what we're gonna try to do every week is we're gonna try to set a lineup together? I mean, I th- that's fairly obvious. Okay, yeah. So we're going to set up lineup <laughs> together. We're going to try to all agree on it. And maybe we'll introduce some like survivor-like we, vetoes thankfully and Thankfully, we did this beforehand, but next week we're going to do this on the air. Yeah. So it's going to be fun. So I weirdly like the Colts, <laughs> even though they're not the best fantasy defense. They're not the best real-life de- defense, even though Darius Leonard might win Defensive Rookie of the Year, and he's been fantastic. Here's my elevator pitch. They don't have a great pass rusher, but the Texans by far are the like worst pass protection. Deshaun Watson, I think, was the seventh quarterback in NFL history to get sacked 60 or more times this year. He was the only quarterback in NFL history, I believe, to get sacked, or he set a new record for sacks among playoff teams with 62, I want to say. Absolutely wild. Uh, By far the easiest person to get sacked. He was second only to Dak Prescott in eating, like, sacks out independent of your offensive line and the offensive line also let up a ton of pressure. He was also, I think he also had the highest passer rating of quarterbacks under pressure, but the point is the Colts have a really good chance to sack him. And then when you're talking about defenses in a one-game sample, you're, it's all going to be random. I love the odds of Colts getting sacks. They sacked him seven times and they played in week four. And the odds of getting a defensive touchdown, either a strip sack, a fumble, an interception as he's hit as he throws, I think are really disproportionately high when you're talking about a defense getting that many hits in the quarterback. I love the idea of trying to hit and get the value of a defensive touchdown at the Colts is the lowest price defense. And how much more likely is one defense than another to get like a pick six or a touchdown? Might as well just take the cheapest option, save $1,800 yeah, at the and same the, risk, essentially. And the Bears are obviously going to have a disproportionate one, but Eddie Jackson might not even play. Yeah. He still hasn't practiced since week 15, and he leads the team in, in, in that. So, I mean, I, I this, this is risky. Might be a terrible idea, yeah. but I kind of well, like it. We essentially decided to dedicate our research. I mean, this is that's the name of the game for DFS anyway. It's like, where are you spending your money? Stars and scrubs. Yeah, and we're going low on defense, so we can kind of add some studs in, in the other positions, and, and that's kind of what we did. So that's that's our strategy this week. I, I actually kind of, and I like the the Colts, you know, chances of getting a turnover, getting potentially getting a touchdown, things like that are so hard to predict. But like you said, get sacked all the time. Um, that maybe potentially could uh, add to that a little bit. So. I'm into it. By the way, Indy's D this year, overall defensive, the 10th the defense in fantasy. So yeah, exactly. Crazy. And they, they've been playing a little bit better. And again, we talk so much about volume and you're trying to project volume for running backs and carries and targets and all those things and pass attempts. But in defense, it's a little more complicated. If you want to touch down a really good thing of volume, if, well, if you're going to hit Deshaun Watson like 10 times, it's a really good chance at a defensive touchdown. It's <laughs> low still, but like, you know, you're playing the Powerball. All right. And where are we yeah. going to spend that money? Yeah. So first of all, let's talk about running backs. Um, we made kind of the obvious choice, one with Ezekiel Elliott for our first running back. He's priced at 8800 He's the most expensive running back on FanDuel this week, but for good reason. He's an absolute bell cow. I mean, last six uh, games, he's averaged 22.7 carries over 100 yards, plus seven catches and 50 yards. They're using him in the, in the passing game a ton. Um, he has only scored three touchdowns in that time, but I think, you know, he's always got that touchdown potential, that touchdown upside, so... Um, when these teams two face, so they're going against the Seahawks this week at home. I've heard. Uh, last time these two teams played in week three, Elliott had 16 carries, 127 yards, had three catches. Um, the Seahawks' run defense over the years has been outstanding. This year, not so good. It's it's a definitely a very middling run defense. They gave up the 12th most fantasy points to fantasy running backs this year. 
And so, you know, I like this I like this matchup. I think they're going to really ride Elliott a ton. I think they're going to run him a ton, trying to control the clock, trying to keep the ball out of Russell Wilson's hands. So I think Elliott's going to be a, a real big, you know, he's going to get a ton of volume this week. Worth and the al- money. And also I think the Seahawks give up the fifth most receiving points to running backs in opposing teams. So obviously that's been a bigger thing for Zeke this season. They play a ton of zone, so they're going to have, you know, they're going to be that dump-off option underneath. I think they're going to do that a ton. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. The, the matchup is good, too. And right after we just said we're going to pick the Colts defense, now we're going to pick a bunch of players in the Texans. Yeah, let's just run through <laughs> all the Texans. Look, you know what? Uh, hedging. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hedging. Yeah, I like that it word. It actually doesn't go. make a difference. Don't ever no, get scared it by picking people playing your defense. It doesn't actually Especially make a difference. Especially in the actually, when it's called a few games. optimizing yeah. because we're betting on a minimal amount of Texans yards and a touchdown, but all those yards are going to go to every player we pick. So there you go. Lamar Miller, I think, is just by far the best value. Um, I think we all agreed on this. The best value of all the running backs there. I mean, as full-time Craig has adamantly said, 20-touch potential. He's only 6400 bucks. Not Sexy, but it's a really good option for sixty four hundred bucks for you know you're getting starting running back and I mean he's cheaper than Kenneth Dixon and Austin Eckler <laughs> like I don't know how that makes any yeah, sense I, I, he's I, the I like te- yeah he's the tenth uh, I guess the tenth most expensive running back so just close your eyes every time he gets the ball and just check his not, his line afterward but you know who you should not check, close your eyes when he gets the ball DeAndre Hopkins who we are shelling out for we yeah. shell out the eighty eight hundred bucks and here's why and this was my passionate pitch. The guys who are priced below him, T.Y. Hilton, who has been good of late, but is still playing hurt and has called the injuries, the ankle injuries playing through, I believe it's been called the worst injury he's ever played through. Keenan Allen, who has not had a touchdown or more than 64 yards since that hip injury against the Chiefs. He's been, yeah, he's been banged yeah. up too. There's and, Al- he's, and he's playing the Ravens. And he's playing the Ravens. There's Alshon Jeffrey, who has been real streaky and pretty unpredictable, and they're going against the Bears. Doug Baldwin, who I yeah. personally still love. Still hurt, still playing. He's still getting he's still getting reps or, or missing reps in practice, too. Yeah. And you can't, and then there's Tyler Lockett, who has been fantastic. But you look through those guys, and DeAndre is the only, like Zeke, and basically the reason we're taking both these guys, is the only guys you look at, and you're like, yeah, I would... Uh, Bang fairly, like, fairly confident they're going to just crush it. So oh, worth, yeah. worth the money this week, and that's basically why we took the Colts defense because yeah. we want both. And now we have to do a little, a little bargain yeah, now shopping. Now it sucks. <laughs> now, now is where we get to the players who we have very well. We're not super confident about, but we're hoping there's enough upside there to kind of help us out. So, so now, well, now we've got what we got sixteen ish, seventeen ish to build two wide receivers and a tight end. Mm-hmm. So. And a flex, we and the flex, that. right? So we got tw- right twenty three. Yeah. So going to tight end first. Uh, if you guys listen to us, we know that tight end sucks. There are not many good tight ends, and dealing predicting whether Nick Vanette is going to get a tight end or touchdown or Mark Andrews um, really is not fun. And the exact opposite <laughs> of why you're playing DFS is I don't want to deal with Mark Andrews in my life. Yeah. So it really comes down to what Zach Hurts. Uh, or Eric Ebron, and we're rolling with Ebron because he's a thousand dollars cheaper. We already have Andrew Luck, and um, DK needs the Eric Ebron luck. Uh, we need, yeah, we need Ebron in our lives. I mean, he gets he has so many red zone targets. They make him a big part of that. Like you said, Ertz has probably got a little bit higher upside, but we had to kind of do a little bit of the bargain. Sixty six hundred is a thousand dollars less than than Ertz. So and Dallas, so Eric Ebron is a thousand dollars cheaper than Zach Ertz, and Dallas Goddard is twelve hundred dollars cheaper than Eric Ebron. 
Like the allocation yeah, does, here al- <laughs> doesn't make much sense. No, I'm, I'm really confused. Uh, honestly, that's why Ebron's the best value. Can here. I be honest as a uh, podcast host of this? I don't understand how DFS pricing works all the time. I don't know why Demarius Thomas, who is on injured reserve, is $5,400. But you know what? <laughs> Sometimes you, there's values. So with Eric Ebron, the thing is, I don't want to sound like we're being hypocritical here because sometimes we do say touchdowns are random. And my answer would be touchdowns are random until they're not. And at the very ends of the spec, kind of like um, one score games are kind of random, except at the extreme ends of the spectrum where they're not random. Touchdowns are random except when you're Cameron Bray, when James Winston's on the field or Devontae Adams playing with Aaron Rodgers. When you clearly have a chemistry with a quarterback or like Ebron have a chemistry and are clearly a primary option in the red zone for your offense and it funnels through you like Ebron does not a red, not fluky with the touchdown stuff so it's wild to see that he's had more touchdowns this year with the Colts than he did as a Detroit Lion yeah, <laughs> but it. It, that's at that point I don't think it's random anymore I think it's right there with Devonta Adams as, the, as one of the biggest red zone threats so yeah, I, yeah. I'm rolling with him 6600 but now do we really got should we, should we get into the receivers now the, the cheaper receivers oh, yeah, that we went it. with yeah let's do it kick it off Taylor Gabriel, $5,000. I know he hasn't been as great the last month, but I think he's a fantastic value. I mean, uh, I mean, again, he's cheaper than Demaris Thomas, who is not playing. I think he's just a fantastic option against the Bears because so the Eagles are, well, first of all, in time for possession. The Ravens are one, the Bears are, or sorry, the Eagles are two, and the Bears are three. So <laughs> whoever has the ball and dominates the ball more is really going to have a huge edge in this game. The Eagles are 0-4 when they have the ball less than 30 minutes in a game this season. So if the Bears are getting the ball, I think that's a huge problem for Philadelphia because when you're winning the time of possession battle, you're, I mean, obviously you're keeping the other team's defense on the field more. That's a huge problem for Philadelphia, as Lombardi has pointed out for the better part of a couple of years. And for the Eagles, where they have way less depth along the defensive line this season, and they, I mean, are just absolutely in tatters in their depth along the secondary, and you can't rotate out as much. And being on the field, those extra few series is a huge deal, and, and you're just going to get exhausted. I think the Bears are going to have a huge advantage if they can keep Philadelphia on the field longer, and I think they have a great chance to win. And I think Taylor Gabriel against that secondary in absolute tatters has yeah, a really good shot at yeah. a touchdown, especially for five thousand dollars. So, and you, you have to look at you have to look at the guys that are around him. I mean, like for five thousand, you can get a guy like Willie Sneed, who you know the Ravens pass the ball like twelve times a game. Jaron Brown, who wouldn't surprise me whatsoever if he got zero targets. David Moore, same deal. If both Seahawks receivers, Anthony Miller, I think he's had like two or two targets in the last like three games or something like that. So, I mean, you're going like just com- comparing, you know, his upside or his floor even uh, to some of those other guys is. I think he just stands out there. So I think that's why we went with Gabriel, especially too. Yeah, and. I, I really like him for the price. I'll be honest. Our next guy, I don't, this is the one I think we all agree. We don't love this one. This is the marriage right. we were forced to make. Golden Tate, 5,100 is our final receiver. Cheapest guy with the money we had left because, ugh, look, he's it's a real che- boomer bust He's the thing. cheapest guy with talent. I mean, he's below he's DeAndre Carter. It's, exactly. And I'll wait for anyone to tell me who DeAndre Carter is. Exactly. We're betting on talent. <laughs> um, he's talented and we're just kind of hoping that they Spicy. can break through and Foles can do one of his little teardrop deep balls. But I... This one's the one we might be wrong on. Maybe we should be spending the extra hundred dollars to go get like Tyrell Williams, but we're not going to do it. We're going with Golden Tate. We're betting on Nick Foles, but we are the re- yeah exactly <laughs> betting on Nick Foles. Always good, but the reason we're doing that is because we want a specific flex. DK, tell us about the guy who plays over Rashad Penny, please. Man, I'm excited about Chris Carson this week. Uh, Seahawks bell cow. I mean, he's been he actually I think he was the NFC Player of the Month. He's been really really good. 
offensive player of the month anyway. Last time they played, which was a long time ago, week three, he rushed 32 times, 101 yards for a touch and a touchdown. That was kind of when the Seahawks rediscovered their their mojo, their run game, and they kind of took off from there. Carson over the last four has averaged 22 and a half carries, 111 yards over a touchdown. So 90 carries, 447 yards, and five touchdowns in the last four games. He's just been on fire. Dallas has a good run defense, clearly, but I think the Seahawks are still going to really just. I mean, they're they're the most dedicated team to the run in the entire NFL. I mean, they they're the only team that ran it more than they passed it. Uh, they led the NFL in rushing, and frankly, Carson is just head and shoulders better than the other guys on the Seahawks in the Seahawks backfield. Sorry, sorry wait, what was that? I'm sorry. So, no. so I didn't right. hear. You. Well, you right now, I mean, Penny's Penny's a future Hall of Famer, Thank but you. you know, right now, Carson is just playing out of his mind. Um, the Ravens are bar, by far the number one rushing offense in the league, just. In terms of rushing attempts, the Seahawks are also by far number two. So I'm, like they're yeah, those are the only two teams that are truly imbalanced offenses in favor of running. These teams are kind of similar, the Cowboys and the Seahawks, and the way they're going to play in this game. I feel like yeah, I mean, as Kevin Clark was saying on Bill's Pod on Sunday, I mean, this is a really weirdly old school game, mm-hmm. um, an old school matchup between like two teams that are kind of about defense and running. And that's why we have Zeke and Chris Carson. There you go. That's why Absolutely. we did it. All right, so that's so our we, lineup. So overall, that's overall. it, right? That's so our we got, lineup. Andrew Luck at 8,000. We've got Zeke at running back at 8,800. We have Lamar Miller at 64. And then we have DeAndre Hopkins at 8,800. Golden Tate at 51. That's going to be the one we regret. Taylor Gabriel, 5,000. <laughs> Eric Ebron at 66. Flexing Chris Carson at 75. And then we got the Colts at 37. And if we have regrets, I bet it's going to be just not downgrading Carson to Mari Cooper and then using that money on a better defense. When or, the Texans dropped 42. <laughs> or we, we so talked there's, about there's Gus the, Edwards too a little I'll, bit. I'll say this. This is the one we debated. Even I think Amari Cooper is a good price this week. He is a and good if price. there's one person sitting out there we could swap in, Amari Cooper is the one. And yeah. if I'm saying it, maybe we should be screaming That's, from the belt. He's, a, he's yeah. a good post-type sleeper this but, week. But um, yeah, so there you go. So thank you to everyone for listening. Appreciate DFS next week. We're going to run through it even a little bit more. Uh, it'll be really fun. So, yeah, nice. we'll go through we'll go through each position and, and kind of like run down every Yeah, like know, like, the, like the, we just did. Much more exactly. arguing next there, week. Very more arguing. But nice to be working with proper villains again. And uh thank you guys. Good luck to everyone and enjoy wild call weekend. <laughs>